Afroverdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Afroverdict podcast with your host Victor Anakin. The 78th United Nations General Assembly kicked off on September 19th, themed Rebuilding Trust and Reigniting Global Solidarity, accelerating action on the 2030 Agenda and its Sustainable Development Goals towards Peace, Prosperity, Progress and Sustainability for All. Most African heads of states agree that the UN must be reformed by increasing Africa's weight in the organization and even granting a permanent seat in the United Nations Security Council to an African country. They also touched on topics like reparations, the Sahel region and sanctions. Let me introduce Kofi Kwako, senior lecturer at the Center for Africa-China Studies, University of Johannesburg, who will be helping me in analyzing the presidential speeches. So during his speech, Algeria's President Abdelmajid Taboun noticed the Security Council's loss of effectiveness in its role of maintaining peace and security. In fact, let's see what he said exactly. The conflicts and crises in our world have reached unprecedented levels. Millions of people have been displaced and international relations have uh, been transformed from uh, uh, ties of cooperation and consensus to uh, 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 conflict. Uh, and this has uh, uh, threatened international organizations uh, in the midst of a world that is experiencing uh, urge emergencies under under uh, extreme pressure in the face of these uh, difficult situations and multiple crises the um, uh, the weakening uh, of the role of the Security Council over the past few years is evident this is a role that is uh, set out in the Charter of the United Nations that role is to maintain international peace and security and in particular by preventing the uh, the use of force and by tackling the causes that uh, threaten peace, uh, international peace and security by ensuring a peaceful resolution of conflicts. I think the time has come for all of us to uh, reflect together to uh, uphold the principles and goals of the UN Charter and to strengthen our common engagement and to uh, establish a sound framework uh, for strengthening international cooperation, making it more effective, and especially on major issues. The goal should be to consolidate international peace and security and to achieve the sustainable development goals in a multipolar world. Uh, following this logic, Algeria, which is, uh, which is preparing itself to be a, a, a non-permanent member of the Security Council and aware of the responsibility that uh, is incumbent on us, especially in the face of the challenges that the international community uh, is facing. Uh, bearing all that in mind, I want to take this opportunity to... Once again, uh, uh, express 
my gratitude to the 184 member states who voted in favor of Algeria to be a non-permanent member. Uh, this is uh, an expression of trust that Algeria will seek to uh, justify and uphold throughout its uh, term in the Security Council. We are ready to uh, strengthen cooperation with all member states uh, on the Security Council and in the uh, UN as a whole. We also are ready to uh, um, take advantage of our extensive experience in mediation and seeking political solutions uh, to peacefully resolve conflicts. Um, very much in this spirit, my country will, uh, uh, will, will sit on the Security Council, bringing uh, with it the aspirations of the African continent and the Arab world. And uh, calling for uh, a uh, um, overcoming conflicts and uh, uh, focusing on uh, uh, lasting solutions to conflicts by uh, dealing with the root causes of these conflicts. Mr. President, any effort to strengthen uh, uh, joint international action uh, forces us to uh, respond to the constant uh, appeals to strengthen the multilateral system by reforming the main organs of our organization in order to make them more transparent and uh, ensure the necessary balance among the main organs and ensure a equitable geographical distribution. and thus revitalize the central role of the General Assembly as the only organ which truly reflects the diversity of, the, of uh, our international community. This is a key element in strengthening equality among states and uh, strengthening uh, the pillar of a true democracy. Also, to... Uh, uh, make progress on intergovernmental negotiations on reforming the Security Council is essential based on an inclusive and a comprehensive approach. This should be an absolute priority for the international community in order to uh, find a consensus and to implement a true reform that ensures greater representation and transparency. And here I reiterate the commitment of Algeria with regard to the common African position uh, and uh, the need to put an end to the historic injustice against the African continent. All right, Mr. Kwaku, how would you assess the activities of the UN Security Council, particularly in the fight against terrorism? Terrorism is something that's gone almost out of the roof, the global roof, especially in the Sahel. I have to talk about the Sahel because that's, that's in Africa, closer to where I am. And it doesn't seem that anybody, at least for what we see, any organizations, global organization like the UN is doing a great job in fending off or finding clear, real solutions against terrorists. 
there are a lot of suspicions that the U.S., by and large, and European nations are maintaining that state of terrorism to completely destabilize the regions where they steal the wealth and the natural resources. Uh, there may be terrorism in the United States or in Britain or in Europe, but not as bad as on the African continent. And as you know, the UN uh, peace and security activities, uh, much of it is taking place on the African continent. So there's still a lot to be done, done on terrorism, fighting terrorism. But they're not addressing the roots of terrorism. It's largely because of the anger and the dissatisfaction, the discontent of human beings that have to sort of get involved into these terrorist activities. And that's very simple. In that piece that we just listened to, the Algerian president has called for reform of the Security Council to ensure equitable geographical distribution. What is your take on the current representation of the African continent in the Security Council and what changes should be made? The Algerian president called for reform of the Security Council to ensure equitable geographic distribution is a good point, but it's not enough. There's no need to put all these countries that are ineffective. They can't even run their own countries, uh, places, let alone be on the Security Council. And it's a powerful place. So a new set of criteria for selection of those members must be designed. The geographic you know, criteria, distribution criteria is not enough. I mean, even the demographic criteria is not also enough. I wouldn't want to put Nigeria there, and we know that. It's it's not an organized country. They need to get their act together. I mean, I'm speaking on confidentiality here, but it's a very important issue. So, you know, that's my take on it. It's going to be challenging because the five top UN Security Council members won't let it go easily. Although we hear from year to year that they want Africa to have a seat at the United Nations. Um, we're hearing that the President um, Biden's going to be announcing that at the, this year's UN General Assembly. The Indians were also talking about it, but these are just talks. And um, most of this, the, the top um, Security Council nations feel uncomfortable to lose largely their power, to dilute their power. And this is where the struggle is going to be. So there's a serious redefinition and then reorganization of that Security Council um, to look at a representation, not just by geography, but also by a potential, you know, successful nature of each of these countries you know, how are these countries organized? Are things working in their countries? If things are not working, the economies are in tatters, they can't manage. Um, I know it's a bit controversial to say that, but uh, it will be terrible to have countries that are dysfunctional sitting on the Security Council. But now the question is, what is dysfunctional? I think politically, economically, socially, and even spiritually and militarily, for that matter. So that will be my take. And that change should take place in the next 10 years or so. But I doubt it. it's going to take place in the United Nations. 
the way it is set up today makes it difficult to change that system. So we're now seeing more and more organizations, global organizations that are paralleling the UN and very soon perhaps a BRICS type of institution is going to start building up. But it's still too early for the BRICS. There will be something emerging where the voices of the many are heard, at least the many nations. It's not just about those presidents going and making speeches every year, but to see genuinely that the lives of people change. And one of the countries that done an extraordinary job is Russia. You know, 10 years before the um, Sustainable Development Goals of 2030, China has already met them. No other country has done so, so far. So they're probably doing something that's working that the UN not only should be paying attention to, but should encourage other countries to probably learn lessons and apply that. President Tabun also found it important to warn against external military intervention in Nigeria. Take a listen. With regard to developments in Nigeria, a neighboring country, Algeria reiterates its attachment to the return to a constitutional order through peaceful means and to make sure that diplomatic and political solutions prevail while respecting the rule of law. We call for vigilance, given the intentions of foreign intervention, military intervention, because this could have dangerous repercussions on peace and stability in Nigeria and in the region as a whole. Meanwhile, Nigeria's Bola Tinubu was quick to retaliate by saying the following about the Nigeria situation. Regarding Niger, we are negotiating with the military leaders as chairman of ECOWAS, I seek to help establish democratic governance in a manner that addresses the political economy challenges confronting that nation, including violent extremists who seek to foment instability in our region. I send a hand of friendship to all of you who may genuinely support this mission for a democratic governance in that nation. The international community must strengthen its commitment to arrest the flow of arms and violent people into West Africa. The fourth important aspect of this global trust and solidarity is to secure the continent's mineral-rich areas from plivering and conflicts. Many such areas have become catacombs of ministry and exploitation. The Democratic Republic of Congo has suffered this for decades, despite the strong UN presence there. What happened? The world economy owes the Republic of Congo much more gifts are very little. The mayhem visited on resource-rich areas does not respect national boundaries. Sudan, Mali, Burkina Faso, Central African Republic, and the list grow on and on and on. The problem also knocked at Nigeria's door. Foreign entities 
abetted by local criminals who aspire to be petty warlords have drafted thousands of people into servitude to illegally mine gold and other resources. Billions of dollars meant to improve the nation's economy now fuel violent enterprises. If left unchecked, they will threaten peace and place national security at a great danger. Given the extent of this injustice and the highest case involved, many Africans are asking whether the phenomenon is by accident or by design. Let me emphasize that Nigeria's objective accord with the guiding principles of this world body. Peace, security, human rights, and development. In fundamental ways, nature has been kind to Africa. Given abundant land, resources, and creative and industrious people, yet man has too often, man has too often been unkind to a fellow man, and this sad tendency has brought, brought sustained hardship to Africa's doorstep. To keep faith with the tenets of this world to this body and the theme of this year's assembly, the poverty of nations must end. The pillage of one nation's resources by overreach of farms and people of stronger nations must end. They will, the will of the people must be respected. This beautiful, generous, and forgiving planet must be protected. As for Africa, we seek to be neither appendage nor patron. We do not wish to replace old shackles with new ones. Instead, we hope to walk the rich African soil and live under the magnificent African sky, free of the wrongs of the past and clear of the associated encumbrances. We desire a beautiful, prosperous, vibrant, democratic living space for our people. We will do it. To the rest of the world, I say, work with us as true friends and partners. Africa is not a problem to be avoided, nor is it to be pitied. Africa is nothing less than the key to the world's future. All right, now that we have the context to both sides, Mr. Kwaku, what's your take on this difference of opinion and how can a compromise be found? I think President Tebun of Algeria's warning against external military intervention in Niger is very powerful and reasonable. In fact, it's the best way to look at it. 
And I think he's right that any intervention in Niger will create a giant chaos and potentially, you know, put nations against each other, not just nations of Africa, but also other nations by proxy, the U.S., Russia, and perhaps China might be fighting a proxy war there because all of them have great interests in that region of the Sahel. And it's wiser to have a diplomatic solution to the crisis in Niger rather than having a military intervention. That's, I mean, it's um, wisdom 101 for anybody who knows. However, there are people who don't think that way. And uh, the idea of bringing back a constitutional order by force is even anathema to what they themselves have been um, arguing against. And I think the French are in the wrong especially with President Emmanuel Macron um, advocating for military intervention in Niger is a bad idea. Now, what is important also is that Macron has been pushing the new chair of ECOWAS, the president of um, Nigeria, Bola Tinubu, to go for a military intervention in Niger. I think this is also a bad idea, as I said. And the only compromise that should come out that need to be found must be diplomatic, not military. And the military coup that took place in Niger was not even bloody. Now, a group of people backed by President Emmanuel Macron forcing his through his ideas through ECOWAS once it creates want to bring back constitutional order with violence and then blood. That many Africans don't find it useful, is destructive, is chaotic, and it's even dangerous for the short and long term. A very interesting situation indeed. Now, Burkina Faso's transitional legislature voted on Tuesday to authorize the dispatch of a military contingent to Niger in the event of military intervention by ECOWAS. In your opinion, is a confrontation between ECOWAS and the new alliance of Sahel states inevitable in Niger? Well, we're hoping that it won't happen. But these are just hopes. The reality on the ground is we know for sure that there are people who are keen on attacking Niger with the idea that they want to bring constitutional order back by bringing the deposed President Mohamed Bazoum back into power. But that, even if it happens, it's not going to be a legitimate uh, return to power because his military won't be with him, nor will the citizen will be with him with them. So that's a losing battle there already. The confrontation is not inevitable. Um, I think ECOWAS has down, down, uh, sort of toned down its uh, rhetoric of war and military intervention because by and large, there have been an uproar across West Africa and mainly across the whole African continent and in the diaspora. Most people are just raising their voices and condemning such an endeavor. It's a dangerous one. 
It's not finding solutions, long-term solutions to the systematic problems of these countries. The coup d'etats that are taking place, that have already taken place, taken place, I think about seven or eight, are systemic. They are just the products of a disruptive system that doesn't allow most of the people in that region, or at least in Africa, to really have their own sovereignty, economic and political sovereignty. They're still being exploited largely by European companies, especially France, and then global companies, resource companies, mining companies. And this is where it comes from. Um, it's not just about the coups or military interventions. So the new alliance that brings the Sahel states, the three Sahel states of Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso is a good one because it really forces um, ECOWAS and deters them to attack Niger military. And that we should encourage it. Jumping back to Bola Tinubu's speech, in the final part, Bola Tinubu said, Africa is nothing less than the key to the future of the world. How important do you think Africa could be in the multipolar world that is emerging before our very eyes? It's a powerful statement. It's a bold statement. It's true. But the statement itself cannot become what it must be. Somebody's got to make it happen. And the leaders of Africa must get their act together, including the new president of Nigeria, Bola Tinubu himself. Instead of trying to have a military intervention in Niger, he should start to create peace because peace and a peaceful environment help to get an African, a future, the future of Africa as a stable place to live in peace, not with war. And so, You're asking again, how important do you think Africa could be the multipolar world that is emerging before our very eyes? Well, it should be. Um, but we're all worried that the people are leading it don't have the, the strength to make it happen right now because many of them don't understand how fast and what, how fast the world is moving and how to really take advantage of this new dynamic that's challenging the status quo of global powers. And until now, African leaders understand that, it will be difficult to make that ideal of Africa playing a great role in the multipolar world manifest and visible. But it is possible. It's coming slowly. I think with the, um, the change in Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, and perhaps Gabon and other places, there is now a resurgence of looking at Africa as a place or at least a continent that matters, but also a continent that can play a role in the multipolar world. It's not about talking only, but it's making sure that, you know, the well-being of people living on the continent, you know, benefit from the resource, the incredible rich of natural resources that are on the continent in partnership with other great nations around the world.
For those of you that have just tuned in, this is your host, Vic Tanakin, and you're listening to Afro Verdict brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Now, we've just discussed the speeches of Bola Tinubu and Abdel Majid Tabun. But if we move a bit further south, President Cyril Ramaphosa of South Africa has denounced the fund spent on wars, which contrasts with the lack of funding for the development of the most vulnerable countries. Let's take a listen. It is a grave indictment on this international community that we can spend so much money on war. And in fact, trillions are being spent on war, but we cannot support action that needs to be taken to meet the basic needs of billions of people in the world. Needs such as addressing hunger, health, empowering women, and making sure that there is development in countries that are vulnerable. Centuries after the end of the slave trade, decades after the end of the colonial exploitation of Africa's resources, the people of our continent are once again bearing the cost of industrialization of the North and the development of the wealthy nations of the world. This is a price that the people of Africa are no longer prepared to pay. Many countries in the North count their assets in the mineral resources that are beneath the African soil. The wealth of Africa belongs to Africans. The mineral wealth that is beneath the soil of Africa must, in the end, accrue to Africans. We require a renewed commitment to multilateralism based on clear rules and supported by effective institutions. This is the moment to proceed with the reform of the United Nations Security Council to give meaning to the principle of the sovereign equality of nations and to enable the Council to respond more effectively to current geopolitical realities. We are pleased that the common African position on the reform of the Security Council is increasingly enjoying wide support. This process must move to text-based negotiations, creating an opportunity for convergence between member states. The recently held BRICS summit in Johannesburg also affirmed the view that the United Nations Security Council should be reformed and should ensure that those who are not represented, that is, nations that are not represented, are also represented. We must ensure that the voice of the African continent and the global south is strengthened in the United Nations and broader multilateral system. All the peoples represented here in this United Nations had their origins in Africa. In Africa, they developed the tools and capabilities to spread across the world 
and achieved remarkable feats of development and progress. And all this was due to the skills and the talent that originated from the African continent. Despite its history, despite the legacy of exploitation, colonialism, and subjugation, despite the ongoing challenge of conflict and instability, Africa is determined and ready to regain its position as a site of human progress. The era of African development has arrived. Through the African continental free trade area, which is creating a wider, seamless trading area and also accelerated interconnectivity, African countries are mobilizing their collective means and resources to achieve shared prosperity. Through this treaty, African countries are establishing for themselves the foundation for a massive increase in trade, accelerated infrastructure development, regional integration, and sustainable industrialization. As the global community, we have the means and we have the desire to confront and overcome enormous challenges that face humanity today. As the nations gathered here in this General Assembly, let us demonstrate that we have both the will as well as the resolve to secure a peaceful, prosperous, and sustainable future for our world, but more importantly, for future generations that will follow, leaving no one behind. That is the duty that we all now have. I thank you. All right, Mr. Kwaku, why would you say are Westerners more interested in funding conflicts around the world rather than contributing to the development of the neediest countries? Well, that's very simple. They have to decide what they want, and they've decided that their funding, their money, will go towards what makes them probably wealthier. And war is a very lucrative business. That's one of the reasons they are probably contributing to funding wars rather than funding development of vulnerable countries. And if they did care about vulnerable countries, they would have made these changes alone a long time ago. We could, the evidence is there for all of us to, to see. The evidence is screaming that Western nations don't build, they destroy. You know, being in Syria, Afghanistan, Vietnam, Korea, Libya, you know, all of these are evidence, uh, the evidence of the kind of destruction that they've created around the world. And now many of them are surprised that, um, you know, immigration to Europe is chaotic, that Europe has been invaded by hordes of refugees. Where are they coming from? From those destroyed countries. And until resources is genuinely and effectively channeled towards basic development, as the Chinese have been you know, promoting. The Chinese have made an enormous amount of, 
of progress in helping build the rest of the world. With the Belt and Road Initiative, people can criticize them wrongly. They have, thanks to China, Africa's growth has been extraordinary. The Chinese, in fact, have democratized capitalism, one way or another, making cheap goods, sending them wherever they can send them fast enough, but also functionally enough. And that is the power of how democracy should be working, global democracy. And the Chinese are showing the way. They, in fact, somebody said, the Chinese are doing capitalism better than the West. So in short, Westerners are not interested in funding uh, African development or development in general because it doesn't help them. And in fact, they think and believe that with the ideology, if they fund development, people might do better than they are doing, which is a sad, sad idea. All right, thanks a lot. Now, these three presidents all spoke on the 19th of September, on the first day of the 78th General Assembly. What is your summary of these speeches? And not only these, but I mean all the speeches by African heads of states. What's your take on them? So first, I think overall for those speeches, I think the president, the African president, are starting to sort of shape up their narrative about the continent um, there are some commonalities, and I think one of the biggest commonality is all of them are attempting to resurface the uh, narrative of an Africa that matters in global affairs. I think that's the key. Second, they want an Africa that matters to be, at least its voice to be reflected at the United Nations activities, um, UN Security Council, and all the major decisions. Um, the other one is that they seem to be having a little bit of teeth. Teeth, they seem to be uh, reflecting the boldness of the earlier African presidents in the 60s, Kwame Nkrumah, uh, Gamal Nasser, you know, and uh, Patrice Lumumba. Um, but it's not enough. They're still a bit coy. They're very quiet about it. They're trying to do it in a very much more, if you want, you know, polite way and sophisticated way. But what also stems out a little bit different is that each of these presidents, and I can tell you, uh, many of them probably didn't speak to each other before going to the UN. So there's no real coherence among African leaders. And that's something that the West already knows. And the West uses it very well because many of them don't communicate well. They only do when there are major crises or when they're summoned in Europe, in Paris or in New York for a specific issue, a global issue, then they start to talk to each other most of the time. And that's the big difference. It makes it that the continent, you know, um, unity is still fragile. It's not as strong as many of us would want to see. And we want to see a much more stronger um, continental union, not among the countries themselves, uh, free circulation, movement of people, goods, and then, of course, ideas. But that leaders themselves talk to each other regularly. I think that's the power of uh, unity. 
So that's the sort of a bit of the overall there between the convergence and then the the differences among them. <clears throat> but more important, if I want to pick a few of them, I think uh, President Sir Ramaphosa's speech was well delivered, I must say. Um, there were a bit of few contradictions uh, in terms of democracy and so forth. The reason is for me, the contradiction is for me, a democracy is really a functional ways of living that takes into account the major Maslow hierarchy of needs, like uh, dealing with poverty issues, security, food, um, secure, uh, freedom, you know, the basic freedom of people to be met. So after having delivered that powerful speech, you can find out that in South Africa, the, the democratic system is not delivering because the three stooges, the challenges that South Africa is facing have become even worse. Poverty has gone up. Unemployment is worse, especially among the youth, more than 75%. Inequalities are even worse. The rich get richer. And so all these challenges that are usually called uh, the horsemen, and of course there's corruption. So any country that suppose or pretends to be democratic must really deal with these things before pointing out fingers somewhere else. In any case, these are, this is, I think I've focused on that a bit. One of these speeches that I would want to read, I haven't seen it yet, is um, the president of Ethiopia's speech, because this is where the African Union is, and I want to get a sense of what is take and how it plays out for Africa and his country. All right, moving over to yesterday's speeches, Ghanaian President Akufuado call on nations to acknowledge that much of Europe and the USA have been built from the suffering of the African slaves during the transatlantic slave trade, as well as centuries of colonization. Take a listen. It is time to acknowledge openly that much of Europe and the United States have been built from the vast wealth harvested from the sweat, tears, blood and horrors of the transatlantic slave trade and the centuries of colonial exploitation. Maybe we should also admit that it cannot be easy to build confident and prosperous societies from nations that for centuries have their natural resources looted and their peoples traded as commodities. For centuries, the world has been unwilling and unable to confront the realities of the consequences of the slave trade. But gradually, this is changing and it is time to bring the subject of reparations firmly to the fore. Granted, the current generations are not the ones that engage in the slave trade, but that grant in human enterprise was state-sponsored and deliberate, and its benefits are clearly interwoven with the present-day economic architecture of the nations that designed and executed it. Reparations must be paid for the slave trade. No amount of money, no amount of money will ever make up for the horrors, but it wouldn't make the point that evil was, was perpetrated, that millions of productive Africans were snatched from the embrace of our continent 
and put to work in the Americas and the Caribbean without compensation for their labor. If there are any hesitations in some minds about the paying of reparations, it is worth considering the fact that when slavery was abolished, the slave owners were compensated for the loss of the slaves because the human beings were labeled as property deemed to be commodities. Surely, this is a matter that the world must confront and can no longer ignore. Mr. Kwaku, why are Western states hesitant to pay reparations? And could the reparations help African states ascend to the same level of development of their Western counterparts? And if so, how would this affect the global balance of power? It's a powerful statement that much of Europe and the United States have been built from the vast wealth that's harvested from the sweat, tears, blood, and horrors of transatlantic transatlantic slave trade and the centuries of colonial exploitation. I mean, this is a powerful statement. We all know it. That's the truth, and it's the fact. Um, And... The Europeans and the Americans and anybody who has benefited from that are still in denial. They're still struggling to even think about thinking about forgiveness, let alone, you know, reparation. In fact, many of them are against reparation. Um, it's not going to come easy because they won't recognize it. They've traded on the blood and, and fear and suffering of other people, especially Africans use human being treated as commodities. This is just so powerfully painful. Um, why are Western states hesitant to pay reparation? As I said again, they don't care. They don't recognize it. And even more important, they're in a position of force today, as they've been for centuries. So they're not going to bother with it. And if there were reparations to help African states, Um, I don't think those reparations will help African state ascend to the same level of development as Western counterparts because the times are not the same. Things have changed. Um, and in fact, I use a, I have a different position. I have a counterintuitive position on this. I don't think Africans should be spending time and wasting time about um, seeking reparation. They should build themselves up as China did. China is not looking for reparation. And so China is an example where, you know, we can start looking at how a center of humiliation of China forced the Chinese to build their own and to bootstrap themselves so much so that today they're proud of being who they are. And they're resisting, they're pushing back um, Western domination and hegemony and exploitation. In fact, they've cleverly used Western technologies, powers, and um, financial system to build themselves where they are. And Africans should be doing the same, not begging again uh, the West to repair them. And how would the West repair them to 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 get them to themselves? It's just not going to happen. I have these um, Chinese uh, sayings. It's just a small Chinese story that's titled The Beggar with the golden bowl. And to me, I think reparation is exactly that picture. Because 
the begging bowl, the golden begging bowl is the riches of Africa. We have all these riches that to me represent the beg- the golden bowl, but we're still begging with it. It just doesn't make sense and we don't need reparation per se. I know many people disagree with me, but our focus shouldn't be on there because we're using, we're wasting energies into that area of reparation. Africans should build themselves up, find ways to decouple if possible, cut new deals with Europeans in a way that helps them, not begging for reparation. During Akufuado's speech, he also called for the reformation of the United Nations Security Council, alluding that the big powers of the United Nations might be preaching democracy, fairness and justice around the world, but are happy to practice the opposite here at the UN. Take a closer listen. Ghana is currently serving out the second of its two-year term on the Security Council as a non-permanent member. This is the fourth time in the 66 years since we joined the UN, the first post-colonial African nation to do so, that we've had the privilege of serving on the council. Mr. President, it has been a sad and disappointing experience for us. We witnessed at first hand, over and over again, that the big powers of the United Nations might be preaching democracy, fairness, and justice around the world, but are happy to practice the opposite here at the United Nations, prioritizing parochial interests over those of humanity. Back in 2017, the first time I addressed the General Assembly as president of my country, I spoke at length on the need to reform for reform of the United Nations and of the Security Council in particular. I said then that the urgent need to reform this organization had been talked about and scheduled for a long time. But somehow, we've never found the courage and the will to execute it. I said then that Ghana supports UN reform, especially of the Security Council, as set out in Africa's common position on UN reform based on the Ezulwini consensus. Mr. President, I said then that the time was long overdue to correct the long-standing injustice that the current structure and composition of the United Nations Security Council represent for the nations of Africa. After serving on the Council at this difficult time in the world, our views on the need for reform have been even more strongly reasserted. We cannot continue to preach democracy, equality, and good governance around the globe. We cannot insist on, insist on peace and justice in the world when our global organization is seen by the majority of its members and the people of the world as hampered by an unjust and unfair structure. Mr. President, The Assembly has quite properly chosen the rebuilding of trust as critical in restoring stability and prosperity to our world. We cannot rebuild that trust when the organization that should bind us is seen by many as helping to perpetuate an unfair world order, which is reinforced by an inequitable, dysfunctional global financial architecture. What obstacles would you say does this hypocrisy of the big powers of the United Nations create to promote the interests of humanity? 
it's just so brilliantly put together on the, you know, prior, uh, that the Western nation are prioritizing parochial interest over um, those of humanity in general. So President Akufo makes the point by using that, the, the UN um, Security Council um, reformation is important. I mean, we've been talking about this for decades now. I mean, the U.S. is now 78. And one way probably to get that, the obstacles are enormous because clearly of the hypocrisy of the big powers of the United Nations. That includes also Russia and China. They don't want to see their power diluted. So they'll use that, talk about it. Um, but the key is, I think, the global south in general, nations should keep talking about it, but they should organize themselves to make propositions that are really useful enough to make those changes. Talking about it is not enough. Making proposition for change is what they should be doing. And for me, they'll help to reduce those obstacles. And if they can't reform the UN, one way to go about is to create alternative institutions that could not compete with the UN, but challenge the UN enough so that the UN will be forced to reform. And this is where the eclectic group of the BRICS is showing up. The Shanghai Corporation um, organization is also shaping up. The East Asian Economic Forum and groups like that, they're all shaping up, but none of them has been organized enough to have the long-standing you know, image and respectful power of the United Nations. And until they come up with something of that nature to challenge the UN, I don't think the five United Nations Security Council members will give up easily. Unless there's also a big churn, a big war that really destroys the world, nothing will happen. But we must be hopeful. And hope shouldn't be just talking about it, but putting in place alternative organizations that could really deal with what President Akufo called the promotion of the interests of humanity at large. Now, finally, coming down to our last presidential address, President João Lourenço of Angola spoke about an invisible hand that is interested in destabilizing the African continent because it is only interested in expanding its own sphere of influence instead of supporting the African countries in terms of economic and social development. Check it out. We are increasingly convinced of the existence of an invisible hand that is interested in creating instability in our continent, only concerned with expansion of their sphere of influence, which we know will not bring the necessary guarantees for the economic and social development of the African countries. Mr. Kwaku, what do you think about this mysterious hand that Angola's Joao Lorenzo was talking about? And what does this tell us about that hand's intentions on the continent? I mean, this is really powerful. And saying it in public, making it public, also tells that there's something invisible, really. This this invisible hand that's interested in destabilizing our continent or Africa is really true. There's an enormous amount of evidence screaming out 
telling the rest of the world and Africans that some forces are now destabilizing Africa. And they've been doing this for a century, but they're now regrouping against, given the fact that Russia and China and other nations of what's today called the global south are bending together to push back and to resist. So Angola's president, uh, what he said about that um, you know, invisible hand is really true. Uh, we just have to look around to see why is this continent not as developed as it should be, given the kind of resources, both human resources and the natural resources. I mean, the extraordinary valuable resources that have been extracted out of this continent. And every time this continent, or at least the countries of this continent, try to get themselves back on track to be able to have a decent sovereignty, they are being thrown into all sorts of chaotic wars. And this invisible hand is not just in one country. It's just doesn't have it's it it doesn't have a place where it is. It moves where he can have it in power, in England, in the United States, in Europe in general. So it's it's boundary boundaryless, and that kind of uh, force um, can't have a nationality, and that's what makes it so difficult to deal with and then to face because it's difficult to see it. From time to time, it shows up in these countries because it's behind and uh, puppeteering most of these Western leaders. But by and large, it is there. And I think um, Angola's president, uh, Joao Lorenzo, is right in telling it. Um, it's not just saying it because he needs to say it. He's experienced it himself in his country. His country is as wealthy, I mean, with oil and natural resources, Angola should be doing really well, but Angola hasn't because this sort of invisible, quote-unquote, invisible force in the background is really puppeteering things and creating, you know, problems among Angolans themselves, Af among Africans themselves, and so forth. And disunity is perhaps one of the goals of that force, invisible force, that forces Africans not to unite and become what they want to be. Kofi Kwaku, thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure to sit down and analyze these presidential speeches with you. Let's hope that the words will turn into action for the sake of the people. Dear listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now I'll be releasing three episodes a week, one of which will be an hour long. You can always find our podcasts on platforms such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, CastBox, Deezer, Podcast Addict, as well as AfriPods. Check out our Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials to always stay up to date on local and global events. For even quicker access, download the Sputnik Africa app. You'll find all of our materials right there, right next to you. That said, you'll hear from me tomorrow with a brand new episode of Afro Verdict dedicated to today's International Peace Day. See you tomorrow. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.